Matthew chapter 9, beginning from verse 1 to 17. And getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes say to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. They glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? For the days will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, for if it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Please keep your Bibles open. Hi folks, it's great to be with you. Um, and George has read that passage for us. And um, there's a, a little girl in our church. She's actually the sweetest little girl. Uh, she keeps me and my wife accurately informed about what our one-year-old is up to. She'll come up to us ever so gently and tell us, Eddie's eating all the chocolate. And I'm not sure, but I think what she means by that is, he shouldn't be doing that. It happens with adults too. Uh, When the assertive person on the door challenges a stranger rushing into a building or down a corridor, 
and they don't have the necessary lanyard around their neck. They say this, excuse me, madam, or excuse me, sir. And then they get a little bit closer to the person and they see there's, they've got a police badge or a stethoscope around their neck. And they've got an urgent expression on their face. And suddenly their reading of that person changes, doesn't it? It's not the intruder anymore. And actually it should, shouldn't it? So when they know the identity of the person, their reading of the situation should change. Uh, When you realise who someone is, you see two things. You see their authority and you see what they should be doing. So the person who's running through the door with a stethoscope around the neck and an urgent expression, well, it's now not just, yes, of course, please go through, but it's actually, please do whatever you're about to do. Because you're needed. (laughs) Yeah? Please do what you're about to do. Identity makes it really clear, not just what authority someone has, but what it is they should be doing. What is there there to do? Put it together, you might say this, that's what they're there to do. And we've been seeing Jesus and his authority over sickness and over evil and over creation. He is the son of man and the son of God. And in our passage today, we'll see that he has authority to forgive sin. Jesus starts by forgiving and healing a paralysed man. And then he calls a tax collector to follow him. And he ends up at dinner in his house. That's what we read. There's some people watching, though, who are a little bit like that girl, spotting Eddie eating the chocolate. And they don't think Jesus should be doing that. Their disagreement with Jesus, like the reports on Eddie, come indirectly. They don't go to Eddie, they come to someone else, his parents. And they come in three stages. I just want to show them to you because we can pick them out. The disagreements are there in verse 3. They say, he can't do that. That's their first disagreement. He can't do that. He's blaspheming. In verse 11, he says, he shouldn't be with them. Meaning the tax collectors. That's in verse 11. He eats with them. And in verse uh, 14, he says, shouldn't they be fasting like us? That's the third report, yeah? So you've seen those three things? They're going to be our headers tonight. So uh, the first one we're going to look at in verse 3. Uh, it's actually in verses 1 to 8. He can't say that is the first thing, yeah? Jesus has said... Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And their reaction is, he's blaspheming. They're saying, he's calling himself God. That's what blaspheming is. When when we misuse the the name of God or, or who he is. And for a man to say that, they're saying, he can't say that. And the Pharisees are actually saying it to themselves. They're thinking it to themselves. Uh, But Jesus can discern what they're thinking. And so he actually answers them. They're probably a bit surprised, aren't they? Oh, we didn't say that out loud, did we? But Jesus gives them an answer. And his answer is there. um, And he says it in three different parts. He says in verse 4, 
Why do you think evil in your hearts? The second part is, which is easier to say? Sins are forgiven, all rise and walk. And then the third part is the, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Rise, pick up your bed and walk. So he's asking them questions to get them to think. And the question is, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Well, in some ways, no one's going to know whether you've actually done that with the sins. Because you can't see. But they will definitely know if anything's happened or not happened. If you say, get up and walk. And Jesus says, to prove to you that what I've said here has actually happened. I have authority to do that and it's happened. I will show you this. And something you can see. Yeah? So knowing their thoughts, he answers their question. And then he says, this is how I'm going to show it to you. And he's, first of all, the first thing he said to the guy was, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Now he says to him, get, get up and walk. And with the same authority, the man gets up and walks out. And so Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive sin. He's proven it. Right before their very eyes. Let's look at their second accusation on Jesus. Well, he shouldn't be with them. Those people. So Matthew, uh, Jesus calls a tax collector and he comes and follows Jesus. And Matthew throws a big party for Jesus at his house and Jesus goes with him and has dinner with them. And their accusation is this. He shouldn't be with them. That's not the kind of company he should be with. Well, they've got a bit bolder, because if you look at it, they've actually gone from talking amongst themselves to actually questioning... Well, they're not questioning Jesus directly. They're questioning his disciples, at least. And the accusation is, he shouldn't be eating with them. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And actually, we need to understand what their thinking was behind this, because they... They thought, saw being pure and godly as being an outward thing. Because they had no real heart transformation. Well, it all became what's on the outside. And by that I mean they were happy taking any law that was about washings or eating. Because it was something that looked good on the outside. Sin was treated like, a bit like contamination. So, and we know how people respond to contamination, don't we? Because we've seen that recently. They treated sin like contamination. And as they are the pure ones, they need to make, stop themselves becoming impure by separating themselves from those who are impure. Yeah? To them, the Gentiles were the obvious source of contamination. These people weren't God-fearing. Their lives were immoral. And the big thing for them, they weren't richly, un- they weren't richly clean. They didn't do the, the things that they did. And the Jew, who was a tax collector, like Matthew, he was shunned not just for taking money from his mates, the Jews, but because he hung out all day with Gentiles. So he, he would become contaminated. You see? So 
the religious leader would not even enter the house of a tax collector for fear that they would become contaminated too. That they would become unclean by association. And yet they find Jesus. Where do they find him? In Matthew's house. So they saw outer righteousness and sin as contamination. But they find Jesus in Matthew's house. And not just in his house, but eating with them. I mean, that's, that's more likely to be a problem, isn't it? And not just one, but a whole bunch of them. Jesus is having a meal with a, a, crowd, a, a room full of tax collectors and sinners. So, so their accusation, remember, was he shouldn't be with them. And Jesus' response to them in verse 12 is, I should be. And it's actually them who I've come for. Should we read it in verses 12 to 13? Again, Jesus' answer has three parts, really. He says this. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Quick question for you guys. Where do you find doctors? Catherine, where, where do you usually find doctors? Where is she? Where, where, who, who are they with? Tend to be? Sick people. Okay. Right, we're on the same page. You find doctors where the sick people are. Yeah? And that's Jesus' point, isn't it? You don't find them amongst the fit and healthy. Well, unless it's a TV set. But they're not real doctors, are they? No, you find them where sick people are. Jesus, being the one bringing the only cure for sin, is to be found among sinners. And then he says, go and learn what this means. And he points them to a part of the Old Testament called Hosea. And Hosea spoke at a low point in Israel's rebellion against God. The priests were going um, through the outward motions of being good, God-fearing people. But they'd abandoned God and his word. And the whole nation suffered as a result. And they were repeatedly called to return to God, but won't. And Hosea brings this clear warning that far from being pleased with them, they were offensive to God. They looked great on the outside, but their hearts weren't changed. What pleased God was steadfast love, the love that he had, and the love that they should have for others. That only he can bring. So... Jesus says, go and learn what that means. And then he says in the last little bit, he says, these are exactly the people I came for. So in verse 13, he says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So these sinners that they speak of, well, they're precisely the people that Jesus came for. Jesus says of his dinner party and his new follower, Matthew, these are precisely the people I came to call. And they, unlike the people who are asking the question, they recognise their need of what Jesus has to offer. Because they're sinners. There's no pretense about it. They know that they're sinners. Jesus says, come follow me. They realise forgiveness is on the table. And they, they want it. 
So Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, the people who think they're good, and think they're okay. But I came to call sinners. That's great news for you, and it's great news for me. Well, the third accusation is there in verse 14. Should we read it? It says, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And as I, I don't know if I said this, but this last question came, comes from the disciples of John the Baptist. So it says that, doesn't it? The disciples of John came to him. Why do we and, our, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? Well, John was known really for, for, being, for going without and, and fasting. And he lived in the wilderness and ate weird things like locusts and honey. Interesting diet. The disciples followed that practice and they see Jesus and his disciples at parties and meals and they want to know rightly, why are we fasting? Why are we doing this and why are they not? That's their question. Well, Jesus gives them an answer. And his answer is all about timing. So we're at the third one. Shouldn't they be fasting? Well, let's read his answer. He says in verse 15, Can wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is there? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. It's all about timing. John fasted, but he was waiting for someone. And in John 3.29, if you want to just quickly turn there. Um, it's on page 888. Wow. John 3.29. John says this. You got that? The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, referring to himself, who stands and hears him... Rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John was the forerunner to Jesus. He was saying, get ready for Jesus. And John says, well, the friend of the bridegroom is happy when the bridegroom arrives. And Jesus says here, he takes on that whole wedding picture, doesn't he? He says, can the guests mourn when the bridegroom is with them. You don't fast at a wedding. You feast. It's a time of great celebration. And so you eat. You throw a party and you invite all your mates. And it's not... uh, Jesus is the bridegroom John was waiting for. He says that. It's not just John who is waiting either. All of the prophets looked forward to a time when God would make a new covenant with his people. They pictured it as a wedding. With God himself as the bridegroom, renewing his vows to his bride, despite her serial unfaithfulness. Let me read a bit of uh, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one to you just quickly. It says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So Jesus is saying this. He's saying there's a wedding and the bridegroom is here. I'm the bridegroom and I'm bringing a new covenant. And if you look, uh, turn, turn back to Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Matthew 26, 26. How is this new covenant going to come about? So Jesus is at another meal with his disciples. It's actually the last meal before his death. And he says this. In verse 27 he says, He gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, Jesus is saying, the reason I can declare your sins forgiven is because I am bringing this new covenant. And I'm bringing it, bringing it in through my blood. And the new covenant will be for the forgiveness of sins. And anyone who is included in that, will have their sins will be forgiven. See, Jesus is making that really clear. And he's saying that he is God. That he is making that covenant with, with people. And Jesus says that sin can be forgiven. Um, it is in Jesus alone that he can say sins are forgiven. Because his death is the way it can be forgiven. And it's a time of great rejoicing, isn't it? Not mourning. Imagine people hearing this. God himself is here to bring forgiveness. And he welcomes sinners. Well, that's really good news for me and it's really good news for you. Jesus says that they will fast, doesn't he? Back in chapter 9. But only when he is taken from them. And they will mourn when he gives up his life. But only for a short time. And then he'll be raised to life. And so their answer to their question is all about timing. The bridegroom is here. And the most appropriate response to that is to be with him. And to be rejoicing. So we've seen those, two, those three accusations, those three problems. He can't say that. He shouldn't be with them. They should, they should be fasting. And we've heard and seen that Jesus forgives sin. He's proven his authority to do that. And he's done it visibly. In fact, it's precisely why Jesus came. That's what he says. To call sinners... And it's only possible through his death. He saves them and then he sits down to eat with them. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Jesus could just like, okay, your sins are forgiven. You know, a flash in the pan. But he doesn't. He wants to be with them. And he wants sinners to be with him. So the new life that he gives is, is, is life that's enjoyed with him. Think of the, the guy who's paralysed. He's got nothing in this life going for him. And yet Jesus says, my son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees the deeper problem, doesn't he? Everyone else is looking on the outside. You've got to fix him. Jesus sees the deeper problem. 
Um, Well, what might this mean for us today? Well, if you're new here, I don't think that we think that sin is much of a problem. I don't think we tend to think that. We kind of know that we feel guilty, but that only lasts a short amount of time, doesn't it? Even a day. Not even that. The next thing. We don't think sin is a problem. We suppress that feeling that says we're broken. We prefer the bad things over the good. And we know that's surely something's gone wrong there. But we don't really care. But did you notice that Jesus deals with sin first? He diagnoses the man's greater need. And it's far more serious than being paralysed. Sin absolutely ruins us. And it ruins our relationship with the God who made us. And it will ruin us when we face its final consequence. The judgment of God we deserve. Deserve. Jesus alone can forgive sin. And you notice he doesn't say your sins will be forgiven. He says your sins are forgiven. And Jesus can say that. And he can say that today. He has the authority And he makes it possible by laying down his life. He's calling sick sinners, like you and me, to follow him. And we we see in Matthew, don't we, what it looks like to do that. Without question, he stopped everything he was doing, whatever he he was doing in life. And he went with Jesus with joy. Because he knew that that was better by far. The crowd, who see what's going on in verse... Eight. Should we read that? Nine verse six. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given authority to men. So the, 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 the two emotions going on when people come see who Jesus is are both fear and excitement. Fear because that kind of authority, to be in the presence of someone that powerful, that with that much authority, it's a little bit frightening. And yet it's excitement because Jesus is the one who is forgiving the man. And there's joy. They can see that he brings life. And um, so what does this mean for us? If you're hearing that for the first time, see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. And that he does forgive sin. Ask him. Maybe you're uh, someone who's been around church a bit. Um, And actually it's good to see that the religious leaders and Israel in the time of Hosea. Well they, they, they were just going through the motions. Trying to please God. And they thought that they were doing it. They probably said this. We're good people. And we go to church on Sunday. And they put on a really good show on the outside. And one of the things they did was avoid those with immoral influences. So, how often do you sort of see people say on social media or something, you know, or stay away from those people? You know, they're a bad influence, that kind of thing. And and, and, And that can happen in church, for church people too. But if our heart isn't changed... And the wonderful offer of forgiveness isn't ours. We don't think we're that bad. 
We never really imagined that our sin was serious enough to throw us into hell. And if that's the case, we'd have to say from this passage that we're more like the Pharisee. And those people proudly reject Jesus in the end because they don't think they need him. And hear the warnings of God's word. We need to be forgiven. So, lastly, if you're a Christian here tonight, where will you find Christians? Where will you find Christians? You're going to find them hanging out all together, huddled up. Yeah, think of the doctors. Yeah, think of Jesus saying, "The doctor is with the sick people." You know, Jesus is saying. If Jesus is like that, then those who have received his forgiveness will have a concern for those who don't yet know him. And so you won't find Christians who are just hunkering down and wanting to be on their own or with other Christians. You find Christians who are desperate for for people who don't yet know him to receive that forgiveness too. You'll find them where the gospel is needed or heading for those people as Jesus did. And that's a big challenge, isn't it? Because if you're anything like me, it's a lot easier just to not do that. And Jesus is saying, this is what I came to do. These are the people I came for. And I I, I did it for you. And I will do it for others. Let's pray. Father God, um, seeing your authority uh, to forgive sin is both frightening and also exciting to know that you call sinners people who rejected you and ran from you and lived as if you were not really God at all, the one in charge. And thank you that you not only declare that sin is forgiven, but you show us that you are and how, how that's possible by laying down your life. Please, would we, be, would we be those who ask you to forgive us and don't see ourselves as those who don't need it? And for others too, would you help us to see everyone that we spend time with as those who need your forgiveness, need to be made right with you? Amen. Amen.